These Thanksgiving hymns are some of my favorites. Uh, just enjoy this season and, you know, when you're singing these hymns of, of praise and thanksgiving to God, it's just, uh, just a wonderful time. So uh, we'll get to Christmas, don't worry, it's coming. I know some of you like those too, but that's good. <laughs> We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. If you want to go ahead and uh, turn there in your Bibles, it will be on the screen as well in a moment. But uh, um, one of the one of the, the great things that um, as we just think of this Thanksgiving season is uh, just our Savior, right? Thankful for Jesus. Uh, that's the title of the message this morning. And um, it is a, is a simple thought. It's a simple idea. Um, but there is so much behind it as we think about what Jesus has done for us. And we think of the Father's love in, in sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It's... Uh, difficult to imagine thanksgiving or being thankful without pausing to focus on Jesus. You know, if you, if you think about um, just the ramifications of God sending His Son and, and what that has meant in terms of redemption and hope and salvation and, and all of those things, we, we would truly be lost without Him. We would truly be perishing without him. And so uh, we have much to be thankful for uh, when we think of Jesus. We're going to look at this in the context of Ephesians 2 today um, and the Father sending his Son and uh, what a blessing that is. So um, this time I'm going to go ahead and I'll read these verses aloud if you want to follow along in your Bibles. But Ephesians 2, uh, beginning of verse 1, says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus." For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that we have truth before us that we can read and apply. Father, we're grateful that you have revealed yourself to us. Father, we pray that we would not take lightly uh, this opportunity that we have before us, where we are given the opportunity to know the very mind of God, reading the very words of God. 
Father, help us to treat this time as such. We pray that we would apply these things to life today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we, we read the passage together. The fact is that salvation from sin comes by one way alone and from one person alone. That person is Jesus Christ. The, the way that it comes is by grace through faith alone. And we, we know that clearly from the passage in front of us. When we think about what Jesus did and just this concept of being thankful for Jesus, we, we know what happened, right? He he uh, demonstrated the very love of God by coming to the earth and going to a gruesome death on that cross of Calvary where his own blood was shed. And the, the Father's love was put on display before us in sending his Son to die on that cross. And, and every time a, a, a new, someone becomes a new believer, someone is born again, we have an opportunity before us to see God's grace on display anew. You know, that, that is a, a tremendous opportunity for believers today. As we, as we see individuals come to Christ, that, that God is working and changing lives and hearts, that, that does not happen apart from the working of God. And so as we, we think about God working in, in the world today, someone becoming a new believer, someone joining and becoming a part of the family of God, and then enjoying the, the, the fruits of that, so to speak, as we see them going out, doing good works, doing things that please Him, honoring Him. The Father's happy. The Father is pleased in that. What, what a tremendous opportunity for us as the people of God to look out and, and just see God working. And, and to reflect once again that, boy, how did they come to Christ? Was it, did, did they come because, you know, we were so faithful in our evangelism? Or did they come because somehow we presented the gospel so clearly or so well? They, they ultimately came to Christ because Jesus gave up his own life on the cross of Calvary. He died. He suffered and bled and died. And the work was his. He, he is the one who died. And, and so as, as we think about those instances, it, our, our reflection, our thought process needs to be back on, on the one who made it possible, Jesus himself. One of the great things about God and sending Jesus to us is that it is the perfect demonstration of what true biblical love looks like. And so this morning, I'm, I'm thankful for his love. I'm thankful for God's love being put on display. You know, we, we think about just common verses. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. He sent, just fill in Jesus there, right? Why did God do that? Because he so loved the world, his love, right? That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was sent, because of the love of the Father. And so we, we don't have this today. We, we're not even talking about this today apart from God's love. And, and so as we, we think about how much he loved us, you know, there, there are certain things that um, in this life just, just change our mindset about maybe even life in general. You, you ever had a time where you're having a bad day and, 
and out of the blue, somebody does something that is just kindness, and, and they show their love for you, and all of a sudden that bad day is not quite so bad anymore. Have you, have you ever experienced that before? I, I, I know I have. Um, one one uh, example of this I heard of, um, some of you have, have heard of uh, Bart Starr, Green Bay Packers quarterback back in the day. I mean, this goes back to Super Bowl I, all, all that time, right? And, um, you know, he, we're talking, you know, Hall of Fame quarterback here, guy who's great, won, won, won Super Bowls, that, that type of thing. And he had a little thing that he was doing uh, during their Super Bowl run, and it was for his son, Bart Jr. Okay, and so Bart Jr. was his oldest son. Um, every time he brought home, you know, a, a hundred on a paper from school, uh, Bart Sr. would would give him a dime, give him 10 cents. And so it was something that they, you know, they just always did. And so, um, you know, he had a rough game against St. Louis. He, he, he said, boy, I, I just played terribly. It was so bad. He's down. He's dejected. He's got the late night flight back to his home. Uh, he comes in. Everybody's asleep. Everybody's out. And... Um, he, he walks to his, his pillow, and on the pillow there's a note, and it says, Dear Dad, I thought you played a great game. Love, Bart, and taped to it were two dimes. Right? That's the type of thing that will change how your day is going, right? I mean, that, it, it's small, it's minor, but what, it, it's a son who loved his father. And, and, and so that, that type of thing is is just a small example of, of what love can look like and what love can do. But now we're talking about a father who loved the world so much that he sent his son. You know, God, when he calls to us and, and, and desires uh, for our salvation, he does so in spite of the fact that we are very much in a helpless state. You know, Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 1 uh, begins and describes it this way, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know, this this elaboration for us just points out the fact that we are in a, a place and a condition in which, well, by all accounts, from the world's perspective, we, we would seem to be unlovable. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, imagine uh, those who have rejected God, who are going their own way, who are in the midst of their depravity and in the midst of their sin, and, and yet in spite of all of that, God loves us. God loves us. You know, the um, description here is, is one of redemption, and uh, redemption is a great thing, right? We, you, you go to uh, uh, many movies are around that theme, right? That idea of redemption. You, you watch the movie at the beginning, the person is, uh, you know, having a bad time or having a hard time or doing things the wrong way. 
and, and something happens and their life changes somehow and all of a sudden you know, they practice more, or they do whatever it is, right? And then at the end they win, right? That, that there's a, a concept, a theme of, of going from what was bad to, to being in a position of, of, of victory and, and that concept of redemption that we see played out over and over again. Um, but in the movies, it's usually the person themselves that somehow either, you know, pulls themselves up or does something to, to change that direction or trajectory, or, or maybe it's, it's another person. And in this case, we have God himself loving us and reaching out with his own son, willing to pay a price. And, and he's willing to do it so that we might have eternal life. You know, this, um, the, uh, there, there was a, a commentator who actually calls Ephesians the shorter epistle of Romans because it talks about all the salvation that's from Romans and it just puts it in just a few short chapters. You know, it, it shrinks it down um, in just a, a, a smaller number of verses. And this concept of, of reconciliation where, where we who are enemies of God are reconciled to him and, and now all of a sudden we who are enemies are, are no longer enemies anymore. And it's not even our own doing. Right? It's not our own doing. It's God himself who makes that possible. There's nothing on our part that brings that about. We read verse 1, it says, and, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You know, that concept there, trespasses, transgressions, places where we make decisions that are against God. Um, sins takes it e even further, right? It, it is a willful missing of the mark where we, where we, are, we are, by our own decisions, doing those things that don't please God. And, and as Paul goes through this description here in this letter to Ephesians, he, he provides a, an account of what those in Ephesus and what their, their life looked like, right? In times past, you walked according to the course of the world. That's a great reminder that apart from God, we, we are helpless. We are without hope. And... And those moments when we look at the world around us and we say, oh man, look how bad it is. Right? We, we need to pause and think, oh wow, look how bad it is. And apart from Jesus, that's me too. Right? That, that's me too. And, and so we, we, this is a, a guard against pride. As we think of our former state and where we were and, and how how we've existed. It, it is a guard against pride. Goes on and it makes it clear who it is who is running the course of this world that we walked after. It's according to the prince of the power of the air. Uh, that's Satan. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You know who's bringing all this about? Who's desiring to see this world disobey God, for folks to run after their own way, to folks to run toward destruction. It's Satan, and he has a desire to bring about a world system. Now, 
I can tell you, I, you know, we, we've heard the expression, the devil made me do it and all of those things, right? Look, I, I'm probably not important enough for the devil himself to care anything about what I'm doing, right? But, but he cares about setting up a system in which we will be entrapped, right? So indirectly, perhaps it's true, <laughs> in a sense, that, that Satan is influencing even believers by the world system around trying to encourage us to sin. And while it may not be him personally in my life, ultimately he has responsibility in bringing this about. And, and as we, we think about the world around us, do we take sin that seriously? You know, a lot of times we're quick to excuse sin. Ah, well, it wasn't a big deal. Ah, that'd be okay. I mean, you know, we come up with all of these excuses when we sin against somebody else. How often do we see sin for, for what it is, that, that it is in the midst of a God who loves us so much that he was willing to send his son to die on the cross for our sins, that any one sin would be enough to, for us to be deserving of hell because we rebelled against the king of this universe. Right? Any one sin would be enough to, to condemn us. And guess what? There is one who rebelled against God, the king of this universe, and, and he is active today in setting up the world system that desires to pull us towards sin, to encourage us to rebel against him. And when I sinned, guess what? Even if I act like, oh, they won't care. I made a decision to say, God, I'm, I'm not going under you. I'm going to do what Satan has set up for me to do. Do sins look so little anymore? When we recognize that these things are occurring in the midst of we we might call a a war going on for the hearts and soul of man? Does it look so small in light of that? You know, it's according to the prince of the power of air, that, that's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath. We belong to him, just like others even as others, right? We, we weren't alone in it. There were others like us. Guess what? We were like them. And so we, we have to recognize that distinction. But guess what? God has called us from our helpless state, but also with that, he's called us to something better. He's called us to great riches that come from Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says here, but, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, in spite of our rejection of God, and, and as we rejected God just like those around us, in spite of all of that, God still loved us and graciously sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Does God ever approve of sin? No. Right? He doesn't approve of sin. He he didn't approve of our sin when, when we didn't know the Lord. He didn't approve of that. And, and yet, through it all, he still loved us. 
the love of God is not dependent upon me. That, that is a, seems like a very simple truth, but that is a very important truth. The love of God is not dependent upon me. I cannot do anything that will stop God from loving me. That doesn't mean that God won't chasten me, right? We have this idea of love today that's kind of all mixed up. And uh, we, we talked about it even a little bit in Sunday school this morning, right? We, we have this idea of love in the world today that, that loving somebody means that you do what they want, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea of, of what love is. Or, or you, you know, you, you make them happy, whatever the cost, right? That, that's loving somebody else often in, in the world today. And that's an unbiblical view of, of what true love is, right? True love is based on... You've heard the word agape, right? The Greek word. But, but it's, a, it's a love that gives. And so it means that, okay, I am willing to give of myself whatever it is, whatever the cost is, for the good of someone else. And that for the good of them doesn't mean that it's just what they want, right? The good of them means what is biblically right for them. In other words, what would please God? in terms of, of them and their relationship for them. So what's the best I can do for another person? Well, if they don't know the Lord, I can introduce them to Jesus Christ, right? That, that would be for their good. That's their most important need there. But, but beyond that, what, what is the good I can do for this other person? Well, whatever helps them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And so whatever drives them toward God and toward Christ, that, that's their good. And it really doesn't matter whether or not that's what they want. It, it really doesn't matter whether or not that's what they want. Because if I love them, I'm going to do what's good for them. Now, we put this in the context of, of um, child discipline this morning, right? A father over, over a child. And um, we, we know from Hebrews 12 that God the Father um, chastens those he loves. And, and specifically his children, right? God loves his children, and he chastens his children. What kind of a father would it be if the children just got to do whatever they wanted all the time? Right? Play with matches. Ah, right, go ahead. Right? You know what I mean? What kind of a father would that be? Uh, it, it, who who doesn't, isn't concerned about the risks. You just get what you want, whatever you want to do. Um, that's not love. And, and it's amazing. Our society today has, has switched biblical love for this idea of this false love that's not loving at all. Biblical love means that we do what's good, the real good, for the other person, regardless of whether or not it's what they want. So, for example, let's say you have a child and uh, they want to stay up all night. They don't want to go to bed, right? And you're the parent. You know that for their good, they need to go to sleep. So what do you do? I can tell you which one's easier in that moment, right? It, it's not the argument. It's not the, the discussion. What's easier is, yeah, okay, go eat some candy, go hide in a corner, and we'll see you in the morning, right? I mean, that's, that's the easy way, right? I mean, but that's not loving, 
And, and so we need to be clear that when we're talking about God's love for us, and it, it, is, it is true and, and biblical love. So verse 4, right? God who's rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God changes us. He calls us to his great riches and blessings, which is better than even the things that we could want or understand or beg for, because we don't even know what's good, right? And so he gives us what's good through Jesus Christ and his offer of salvation, that by believing in him, we can have eternal life. And he demonstrates true love toward us, right? Demonstrates true biblical love toward us. Now, as, as we think about this process, we, we, we may perhaps start wondering or asking that question, well, uh, you know, why, why would God do this? Or, or even maybe come to the conclusion that somehow perhaps it was something that I did or something to help earn this. You know, if, if people were, you know, as, as good as me or if people were as smart as me or, or whatever in their study, may, maybe more people would come to Christ. Or if, if people had had better parents and raised them like my good family, perhaps they would have come to Christ or, you know, whatever it is. We, we're easy to start thinking that somehow there's something that, that we did in regard to this. But, but the fact of the matter is that as, as we think about what God has done, um, it, it is all of him. Right? It is all of him, and it's all his working. Even if we think about living the Christian life, and, and what does that look like? If we try to live the Christian life in our own strength, we're not able to. Right? Even living the Christian life and seeking to please, please Christ happens by the grace of God. You know, some, some have, have uh, described it this way. Um, the believer who seeks to live the Christian life through self-effort is, is like a man who's attempting to sail across the Atlantic Ocean, and, um, and you know, he, he, he's going out there, and all of a sudden the winds are calm, and he's just sitting out there, nothing's going on. He's frustrated by the, the, the lack of uh, progress that's happening, and so he, he's out there in his sailboat, and, and it, he's just sitting in the middle of the water. What am I going to do? I says, well, I got the idea. I'm, I'm going to go over to the mast and push on it. <laughs> And I, I've just got to keep pushing on the mast, and we'll get this boat going. You know, isn't that what the wind's doing after all? Well, it, it, it doesn't work that way, right? You, you can't do it in your own strength. Pushing against the mast and strenuous efforts, it doesn't matter how far, hard you push. It's not going to make that boat go any faster. If, if we're going to do those things that honor God, we, we do so by the grace of God and his enablement. So in the midst of this, right, it's not because of anything we have done. God wants to show his grace to us. Verse 7 puts it this way, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ, through Christ Jesus. So title there, thankful for his grace, verse 7, sorry that wasn't up there then, but that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know, as God demonstrates his, his grace toward us, part of that demonstration is that he's putting this on display for other people to see. I don't know how often you've thought about the fact that part of God working in our lives 
is not really so much about just us. Part and a big part of God working in our lives has more to do with our lives being a marquee or a billboard to show others the grace of God actually on display. If you were a billboard for God at work, right, and, and, and you were up there, and the billboard were to list out what God is doing in your life, what would be on the side of the road? What would people see as they went by? What's God doing in your life? Because according to verse 7 here, the, the ages to come, the times to come, guess what, that's now, right? <laughs> After this, the times to come, we're, we're in those times, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God wants our lives to be a display of his grace and how he's working out that grace in our lives so that others can see how rich it is being in the grace of God and, and how kind he is as he works through Jesus Christ. You know, God wants us to be billboards for him. God shows his grace uh, through Christ Jesus, and the way he does it in our lives particularly is displayed here in verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, it's a great verse that's so essential to understanding salvation, right? Salvation happens by God's grace, and when we're, we're using that term here, we're we're just uh, defining it very simply. God is giving to us something that we don't deserve. Okay? So when God shows his grace toward us, he is giving to us something that we don't deserve. I don't deserve to be saved. There is nothing good in me that deserves salvation. I am not righteous in and of myself. But my God who is loving, whose son, Jesus, is completely righteous, died on the cross... For my sins. So how did it happen? Well, by grace, all that was done by God. I didn't earn it, didn't work for it. You're saved through faith. Does that mean you believe, you trust? You know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. God sent his perfect son to die on the cross for my sins. And through faith, by believing, that's what I have eternal life. Say, so, well, well, didn't you believe? Well, no, it, it was not of yourselves. You didn't earn that. Right? And you, you didn't gain that on your own. Apart from God working, this doesn't take place. Salvation is his work and his work alone. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God's given you a gift. It's not of works. Why? Because if it were, you'd be out there boasting about it and sinning about it and thinking you were special. And, and God says, it's not about you. It's about him. That's the, that's the amazing thing about salvation. It, it's kind of the very thing that takes place in the midst of salvation when we realize, okay, I am not enough. I can't save myself. I need a savior. Right? That, that same process where we come to that understanding and we say, God, save me. I, I can't save myself. 
Where do we put the focus? We put the focus back on God. Well, so now that that has happened, are we actually going to come and say, oh, I'm so great. Look at me. I'm saved. No, no, no. You didn't do the work for it. You don't get to boast about it. If you're going to boast, boast in God. Boast in who he is. Not in you. And so that's the distinction. That's the difference here. So I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm also thankful for my maker. Verse 10 reminds us of that. You know, one, one of the things that, that God does for us is in, in the midst of, of being his children, the one who's created us, he has created us for a purpose, right? He's created for us to, to have something to do for him. You think about someone who, who actually used that. Hudson Taylor is a good example of that. You know, somebody who, a uh, great missionary who, who went out to reach others, for, with the gospel. Hudson Taylor once said, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will never lack God's supply. God is not obligated to pay for our selfish schemes. He is obligated to support his ministry, and he does. God takes care of his ministry, and he takes care of, of what belongs to him. Verse, verse 10 here in Ephesians 2 puts it this way, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So, simple fact, one, he made us, right? We are his creation. God has created us. And with that, there are certain privileges that come with that. One being we're made in his image, right? That's a, a basic fact. Uh, we're, we're made in the image of God just, just by the fact that we are his creation. Uh, but, but beyond that, we're created for a purpose, and that is that we should do good works, right? We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so when, we, when we're born again, God would have us do those things that please him. This is not somehow just like a, a postscript, oh, you got saved, that's great. Uh, all of this is about salvation and now, yeah, maybe you should do some good things every now and then. <laughs> that, that's not what this is. This is... Hey, believer, this is your purpose in life. You are to do good works. You were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. How do we know? Well, God has ordained it. We should do it sometimes. No, no, no. You should walk in them. This should be your manner of life. And so as believers, we should be known as people who do good works for the glory of God. As we think about uh, this aspect of, of good works, how, how does this come about? How do we get to do these good things that please God? Well, it happens because we were created in Christ Jesus for this purpose, right? So even the good works go back to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Say, well, well don't, aren't there many people out there who, who do good works? Well, there, there are people who do things that are generally good, right? But here's what a true good work is. A true good work is done for the honor and glory of God. And if you're going to do a true good work, how, how, how does that come about? Well, you have to know the one you're doing it for, right? So this is believers who are that billboard, and on display on that billboard is a declaration for other people to see, guess what God has done in my life? He saved me. 
He's helped me. He's changed my heart. He's made me to, to love other people. He, he is working to conform me into the image of his son. This is what God is doing. And it's not about me, it's about him. We are his workmanship. And, and so I, I'm thankful for, for my maker. This, this would be something like, uh, imagine, imagine going up and, and seeing an incredible work of art. Right, and, and you see, see this outcome and you're, you're just absolutely in awe of it. You say, boy, isn't that some incredible canvas? I've never seen a paint, you know, paint like that before. I'm sure it must be the canvas that makes this so beautiful. I mean, you know, it doesn't even make sense, right? It's the artist. When you're admiring what was created, you're, you're giving thanks to the artist. You're giving thanks behind the mind that, that made it. We, we would be like living paintings who were saying, wow, look at me, aren't I so great? And ignoring the artist. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. So we need to be thankful for our maker and what he's done. You know, the, the call to us is, is, is very simple. We, we, we need to be thankful for our Savior and all that he's done because everything in our life goes back to him. And we need to live a life that's pleasing to him. And that involves doing the good works that we were created for, the things we were ordained to do, that we'll put on display how wonderful our God is. You know, the question before us today is a simple one. How are we doing in relation to keeping the priority on God and our thankfulness for Jesus? You know, certainly we need to be doing the good works and all these other things. But I know some of you are already actively involved in those areas. Do the heart checkup now on, is the credit going to him? Is the life a billboard of his grace and his working? Does he get the honor? Does he get the glory? Because those things please God. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word this morning. Father, we, we count it a privilege to just simply cry out in thanks for your love for us, for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And Father, we pray that today you would uh, just continue to help us to remember your work and the fact that you are the one who's worthy of all praise. Father, challenge our hearts today to give you the credit that you're due, to, to set aside any aspect where we would claim glory of our own. Father, I pray also for those who are hearing, maybe who have never trusted Christ as their Savior, that today would be a day where they would, where they would believe, that they would respond to your grace and faith. Father, I pray also for those who are believers who perhaps were convicted today that I was ordained for good works, but I haven't been living up to that. Father, I, I pray that for those who are coming short in this area, that your Holy Spirit has put his finger on a place in life that today would be a, a time of, of conviction and, and repentance. Father, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for our Savior shed his own blood, 
we might be saved. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.